where we'll be reading from. We're looking at John chapter 11, verses 1 through to 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. A few years ago, I was in a small country town helping out at a church and we were visiting people at their homes, inviting them along to a bush, bush dance at the church that the church was running and at one of the doors of these homes, I was invited in by a man who was sitting there struggling to breathe. <clears throat> and um, he says to me, I'm just back from hospital. The doctor says, I'm dying. Now, it was quite a confronting situation just to, to find myself in with a stranger. I didn't, it seemed like he was the kind of guy who didn't really have family there or, or friends particularly. He'd just been handed this horrible news and I thought about how to try and comfort him. I, I, as I started to try to reflect back to him, even just what he said, you know, I said something like, oh, that's, that's terrible. He completely changed, said, oh, no, it's all right. I'll get through it. There was a, an unreality there, a, a bit of denial, I think. And, and I'm not really blaming him because I actually think we all live with a bit of unreality. And that unreality actually threatens to stop us from seeing death and life like we should. But in today's passage, Jesus really shakes that unreality. And my guess is that this passage is confronting because death is confronting. But if we're willing to see things the way Jesus sees things here, this passage, it's not only confronting it's also a huge comfort to us so let's get into the details Lazarus is a friend of Jesus who lives very close to Jerusalem now he's sick we read and so his sisters send word to Jesus who's probably about four days travel away now because we've jumped over a bit in John we've missed that Jesus has kind of gone into hiding a bit He's withdrawn from Jerusalem because the Jews have just tried to stone him. And Lazarus, living so close to Jerusalem, his, his hometown, it's, it's off limits. At least that's what the disciples think. But it's not what Jesus thinks. And it's, it's certainly not why he delays 
going there when he hears that Lazarus is sick. Look at verse 4. When Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he says to his disciples, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus delays for God's glory. Now, to us, maybe like last week, that might sound harsh. It might even sound egotistical. God wants glory, so he lets people die. You know, maybe it sounds a bit like a a lifeguard who kind of waits till people have half drowned before he goes running down the sand with his muscles glistening in the sunlight to pull them out so that he looks good. But this is not about looking good. This is actually about being good. God is the true source of good. He's the origin, the sustainer and giver of good. So Jesus seeking God's glory and God seeking Jesus' glory, it's, it's not about appearances, it's about recognising the facts. God is glorious. He's truly good. But there's actually more to the picture than even that. See, God doesn't reveal his glory for his ego. He reveals it for the good of people. Look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now the way that reads, it sounds like Jesus has put his interests above theirs. He loved them, but he decided to delay anyway. He put his glory above them. But reading it like that is actually misleading. And the NIV realised that. This is the old NIV that we're looking at there. So they, they realised that it's misleading the way it reads. So they made it more clear in the, in the recent translation. You can see it up there on the screen. And now it says... Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Do you see the difference? Jesus delays because he loves them. Revealing God's glory to them is the most loving thing God can do for them or for anyone. Because if it's true that there's a God, then he's the center of everything and if he's the center of everything then I want to know for two reasons you know first because otherwise I'm going to find myself in opposition to him when I give something else his glory and second because life doesn't make sense if you don't understand its center if I don't see God at the center then I'm going, to, I'm going to miss out on seeing life the way he does, seeing life it's meant to, the way it's meant to be, enjoying life the way God wants me to. Until we grasp God's glory, we miss reality. We're living a dangerous unreality and we're missing out. Jesus waits two days because he loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and he wants to reveal God's glory to them. So let's get back to the story and see what that looks like. So when Lazarus has died, Jesus travels with his reluctant disciples to Bethany. And when they get there, it's exactly as Jesus has said. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead four days. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, 
And so she meets him at the edge of town and she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can only wonder at the tone of her voice here. You know, is this one of those if-onlys that, that we say to ourselves when terrible things happen to us? Or is this Martha expressing belief in Jesus? Or is it actually tinged with you know, the slightest hint of accusation? Where were you, Jesus, when we needed you? Whatever it is, Martha shows in what she says next that she still believes in Jesus. Verse 22, she says, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. But she isn't saying here that I know, Jesus, you can bring him back to life right now. Hint, hint. She doesn't know that. And what we see in the rest of the story shows that. Even in what she says next shows that. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She believes resurrection is for the last day. And she's spot on to believe this. But here's the problem. She's got the right answer. But what she hasn't seen, what she hasn't fully grasped, is the place that Jesus has in this great hope. Martha talks about resurrection almost as if it's independent of Jesus. But look at Jesus' response in verse 25. He says... I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is not only dependent on Jesus, it's located in him. It's embodied in him. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. But what does that mean? Well, he means that Lazarus' hope is not in the resurrection at the the end of history. His hope is in Jesus. The hope of all humanity is not in life after death. It's in Jesus. The flip side of this, of course, is that Jesus is saying that there's no resurrection and there's no life outside of him. Now just stop and think about that. This is either incredible ego speaking. I mean, think about it. Who at a funeral talks like this who turns the attention to themselves at a funeral this is either absolute arrogance or it is love revealing something incredible that here is absolute life and here is our access to indestructible life and whether it's arrogance or love of course depends on whether it's true or not Because if it's true, this is Jesus revealing God's glory. This shifts our perspective on reality. It reshapes how we understand death and life. We understand them as we understand him. Jesus goes on to explain this. He goes on to explain what it means that he is the resurrection and the life in verse 25. He says... He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 
death's not the end. Jesus promises indestructible life after death for those who believe in him. Now the significance of this is, is hard to overstate really. And yet my gut feeling is that we find it hard to hear Jesus here. Hard to believe Jesus here. And I think partly at least it's because of how we tend to think about death. Because actually we don't tend to think about death. It's very hard to make our minds dwell on our own mortality. And there's something right about that in a way. I mean, it's no use walking through life letting death hang over us. But what I'm talking about goes beyond that. So yesterday I was speaking to a few people who were confronted with death maybe a bit more than the rest of us. I was talking to a couple of doctors and someone who works in aged care. And I asked them what they've observed about the way people tend to talk about their death. And they said generally people don't think about their death. And when they're faced with the reality, you know, they get told this is terminal. They're almost unable to accept it. As if our own death is an impossibility, an unreality. Well, Jesus' words here cut through the unreality. Death is real. And he claims that with belief in him, it's not only possible, but it's guaranteed that we will live through death. Now at this point, Martha goes and gets Mary to see Jesus. He's still outside the village. And Mary's response, what she says to Jesus, is almost identical to what Martha said. But She's very different in what she does. Look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary's response, she collapses on the ground and she's weeping. You see there just between Martha and Mary that the way we handled grief is just so differently. And Jesus actually responds to Mary differently to how he responded to Martha. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus is troubled by death. The word behind deeply moved in spirit It's not actually about grief or pain. It's actually much closer to anger and indignation. The word can even be used to refer to the way horses kind of snort. See, within Jesus, there's a turmoil going on. He's indignant and he's he's stirred up. He's troubled. But what's got him angry? In verse 33, it's as Jesus sees their pain that he gets angry. But he's not angry that they're feeling pain because in just a couple of verses, he feels pain himself. He's angry at what's caused their pain. Jesus is angry at death itself. Its very existence in this world is an abomination. It's a corruption of the world he's made. 
And I think we find the significance of Jesus' anger hard to grasp too. Because, again, I'm not sure that our culture actually shares this anger. Some cultures are a bit indifferent to death because it's just all around them, so they're desensitized to it. Now, ours isn't like that. Many of us hardly have to deal with death at all. But if we do think about death as a culture, it's not usually with anger. I mean, what I, what I mean by this is that we're not indignant with the idea of death itself. We're indignant with people who kill and that sort of thing. But as a society, we have ways of thinking about death that, that stand in stark contrast to Jesus. You might hear things like this. Well, you wouldn't want to live forever anyway. Or you might hear people say things like, death is just a natural part of life. Here's one of those views up on the screen. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be. Because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Now those words are from someone who is a genius in their own field. It's from Steve Jobs, Apple CEO, former Apple CEO. But he's not a genius when it comes to death. And those, the, the ideas expressed there, they don't line up at all with God's view on death. They don't possess the powerful outrage over death that God possesses. Jesus is angry that death has been given a place in this world. But did you notice anger is not the limit of his response? Verse 34. Jesus said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I think these are some of the most profound words of the Bible. Jesus is angry, but at the very same time he's sad. But what is it that he's crying for here? It can't be for Lazarus or for his sisters because right from the beginning we saw that he's he's known what he's about to do. Jesus is crying for the very same reason that he's angry. It's for you that he's crying. It's for me. It's for the fate of every single human being. Jesus is saddened by the very existence of death. God's anger and love exist together. He's deeply indignant, but at the same time, he's deeply moved by his love for us. With God, he he won't sacrifice one for the other. He always holds both together. I mean, that's exactly what you see at the cross. At the cross, you see God's justice and his mercy at the same time. You see his love and his anger perfectly meet. How does it make you feel to know that God is angry yet cries over our predicament? God's not cold or distant or stoic about our death. See, nobody understands death like God. Nobody understands our pain like God. And nobody feels the horror of death like God. His reaction to death, it's almost volatile. 
And if we're going to reflect God's character, death and anger will sadden us too. Its existence is always wrong. And it's right for us to be deeply moved by it. I love in this passage that Jesus doesn't just sympathise with us here. He empathises with us. He sheds human tears as he expresses the emotions of God. But I also love that his empathy goes beyond shedding tears. He does something to change our predicament. And here in this passage, he gives us a sign that he's come to deal with death once and for all. He steps up to the tomb to wrestle death itself. Now, it sounds like a great battle, doesn't it? And yet for Jesus, we read, it's like waking someone from sleep. He simply speaks, he commands, and the dead hear his voice. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, indignant, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead men, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And Martha's struggling to believe. And who can blame her at this point? And she's not someone who tries to sanitise death. She reminds Jesus of the, the brutal, awful, awful reality of death. It's confronting. But you get the feeling that Jesus is about to burst now. As he turns to her, and you can just imagine the fire in his eyes. As he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they take away the stone. But for all the anger and sadness for Jesus' volatile reaction to death, he remains in complete control. He knows what he's doing. He's showing God's glory. He's revealing the Father. And so he prays in verse 41. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. It's beyond comprehension how the bonds of death four days in can be broken with just three words. It's a truly remarkable sign. We've seen already in John that Jesus has healed over distances. But here he crosses an even greater distance. He reaches down into death itself. And suddenly Lazarus sucks in breath and his eyes open and he's alive. This is Jesus' most powerful sign. But the reality that it points to is even more remarkable. It points, of course, to Jesus' own battle with death at the cross. It points to God in Jesus taking on mortal flesh in order to be able to take death itself, our death, into himself. This sign points to the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That by believing in him, we can live through death and never really die. It points to the reality that one day Jesus will say to me, Stephen, come out. 
and death will release me. And I'll stand there somehow with this body, but this body changed. Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? And the question's there for us too. Do we believe Jesus is the key to life and death? Now you might be thinking at this point, Jesus makes big claims. But I'm not really there to see him back them up like Martha and Mary. I want to believe, but, but I'm not ready. And you know what? That's fair enough in some ways. Let me encourage you, if that's you, to investigate Jesus and to do a really good job of it. The claim is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That his resurrection actually happened and shows us that we can be resurrected one day too. Investigate that. A great way to to really look into it is the life course that's coming up. It's a a relaxed, no-pressure kind of environment that allows you to really get into depth and see if Jesus is who he says he is. But if you already believe, can you see how this changes how we view our own death? I've talked about living two unrealities in this. Living, first of all, as if God's not at the center. And living as if we're not going to die. And when you get the first reality right, Jesus at the center. The second falls into place. When you get that Jesus is at the center, you you also get that he is the resurrection and the life. We don't need to be in denial about death. We don't need to sanitize death. It's okay to be angry with death. And it's okay to be saddened by it. But at the same time, we know that even though we die, yet shall we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would reveal your glory to us, that you would help us to see reality, that you are at the center, and that that's a good thing. Lord, we ask that you would also open our eyes to the reality of our own death, Lord, help us to realize that when we have our faith in you, you hold us safely in your hand and nothing can separate us from living with you for all eternity. We thank you for Christ, that he was willing to die himself, that death might die. Help us to truly believe in him and to think about death rightly to be angry at its existence and saddened by it and yet to place our full confidence in you that we can come through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.